everybody, what's up? Welcome to Bible Prophecy Talk. My name is Chris, and today I wanted to talk about something I wrote recently called Three Reasons I Don't Think We Are in the End Times Yet. It was intended to be as short as possible, explaining why I don't think that we're in the end times yet, and why I should say that, yes, you could probably make the argument that any time past the resurrection of Christ is the last days or something like that, but what I'm talking about is uh, proximity to the the last seven-year period. How close are we to that beginning? And I would argue that we are minimum a, a decade or more out from that starting. I mean, it could come together quickly, but as we go through this, that's sort of the main reason. Also, I included an infographic, which is just this text in a 16 by 9 image that you can download to your phone and share on social media. So number one, the 10 kings slash kingdoms ruling much of, if not the entire world, must occur before the Antichrist's arrival on the world stage, Daniel 7.24. And I chose Daniel 7.24 for this proof text because it's, I think, the most clear place that demands that you understand that the Antichrist must come before. I think there's other options I could have used here, but Daniel 7.24 says, as for the 10 horns, out of this kingdom, 10 kings shall arise, and another, known as the Antichrist, shall arise after them. Another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. So I think you have two timing things there, the former and he shall arise after them. Even the fact that he is not one of the 10, he's a different uh, horn altogether and the multiple instances of him being against the three kings sort of presupposes that he comes before, but, but 724, in my opinion, is a pretty solid proof text. I think I'll just continue reading the rest of the first reason and then comment after that. The Antichrist is opposed to that 10 king system initially. He defeats three of the 10, Daniel 7, 8, 20, and 24, after which all 10 pledge loyalty to the Antichrist, receiving royal authority, Revelation 17, 12, and 17, thus changing the system into a theocracy, Revelation 13, 12, and 15, which starts at the midpoint, Daniel 11, 36 through 40, Matthew 24, 15 through 22, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 12. Therefore, not only are we awaiting the establishment of the 10 kings slash kingdoms system, probably located around the Mediterranean Sea, Daniel 7, verse 3. We are also waiting for the Antichrist to conquer that yet future system. And while those events could take place quickly, it would seem reasonable to assume that a decade or more would be needed before even the first events could take place. I believe the premises are fairly self-explanatory with that one. If you understand that the Ten King system comes before the Antichrist and that the Antichrist is opposed to that system upon his arrival and we need a conflict with them, three of them, and the subsequent turning over of that system, all of those things require a, a lot of stuff to happen beforehand. I honestly believe that the first thing that will that anybody will be able to tell anything is happening related to the end times is the formation of the 10 Kings, which is, as far as I can tell, probably the only thing that we'd ever be able to notice before the seven year period began. I couldn't resist mentioning the, that they were probably located around the Mediterranean, what I've sometimes called my pet theory. And I did post my little infographic, which shows the progression of the seven-headed beast empires throughout history, starting with the Egyptian empire, to the Assyrian, to the Babylonian, to the Persian, to the Greeks, 
to the Roman Empire and how each empire progressively ate more of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, I, I cite Daniel 7.3, which says explicitly that these beasts come out of the Great Sea, a term referring to the Mediterranean Sea. And I think some of the language there in Daniel 7 about how it conquers the remainder and these kinds of things, and why there is this sort of odd connection to the Roman Empire is because the Roman Empire was the only system that controlled Israel like that, a world empire that controlled the entire Mediterranean Sea. So it's sort of a rebirth of that in that, syst in that sense. I suppose there were a few other reasons I decided to include this Mediterranean Sea graphic in the, uh, at least in the post at my website, is that uh, number one, a lot of people have a lot of theories about what the kings and kingdoms are in Revelation, and they're all over the board, even some pretty normal uh, conservative teachers and scholars and such. But most people will, at least when, by the time they get to Revelation 17 and 18, understand that the five that have fallen have were empires of some kind. And if you believe that that and the five that have fallen are on the head of the beast, et cetera, et cetera, then you can understand that in Revelation 17, that same seven-headed, ten-horned beast is the same one in Revelation 13. And I would argue strongly that it must be connected with Daniel 7 as well, and of course Daniel 2. And so here we are with a pretty consistent message that is about empires. I know a lot of people want to split up the kings and kingdoms, but I don't think that you can. I think they have to be both kings and kingdoms uh, is the only way that it seems to work without any contradictions. But uh, in any in any case, my the other reason is because by showing that there was this progression of uh, empires that were singled out by God, uh, it also, I think, helps with the second point, which is that these empires had something in common, namely that they ruled Israel. So let's move on to that point. Reason number two, Israel is currently not ruled by a world empire. If you believe that the first six heads of the dragon, Revelation 13, 1 through 4, Revelation 17, 3, 7, and 9 through 11, are a picture of Egypt, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, as many conservative scholars do, then the seventh and final head of the beast, the one with the ten kings, will need to rule over Israel, because ruling over Israel is arguably the one thing a head of the beast must do, typologically speaking. Ruling Israel is the thing that connects the other six empires in history, which is almost certainly why they are singled out from other satanically inspired kingdoms. Daniel 2, 7, Revelation 17, 10 through 11. Therefore, since the 10 king system is a precursor to the Antichrist, Daniel 7, 24, it means that Israel will need to be ruled over by the ten king system significantly before the Antichrist first comes on the scene. And since Israel is currently a sovereign nation, many events will need to take place before these events can occur. So I'm actually kind of proud of this argument. Uh, this is what sort of inspired me to, to bring this in just a three reason thing, because I originally had planned on talking a lot about how the dry bones prophecy in Ezekiel 37 is has to be a, in a millennial context. And that's to, to apply it to the Jews back in the land is how Lindsay, I think, popularized that book, The Late Great Planet of the Earth, was literally the most popular book in the 1970s. And it really truly affected a lot of what people think about uh, a Bible prophecy these days, or at least the older generation. And one of the main, probably the main thesis that Hal Lindsey had was that 1948 was the beginning of everything. And he equated it to the Ezekiel 37 prophecy. He's, he's the guy who'd made that whole thing happen. I think that I contributed a lot to this question of 
does the dry bones prophecy in Ezekiel 37 actually mean what I thought it meant before I did that study uh, a few months ago? And that study is, you can find it on my YouTube channel or just uh, my website, Bible Prophecy Talk, during a Gog Magog series. I did, uh, what was it, like four or five hours on Gog Magog, individual sections over a week. And this section was called uh, Context, the Gog Magog War series Context, in which I went over not just Ezekiel 37, but the 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 chapters before that, which are a part of this series of night visions given to Ezekiel after Jerusalem falls, in which case there are extreme patterns and all this. I'm getting off the subject here, but one of the things that I believe this is a, a big deal for anybody that knows is it, it would make their head explode because their argument is that Israel is back in the land and they cannot lose it because that's a logical consequence of if you believe that Ezekiel 37 is is a picture of Ezekiel or Israel getting the land uh, back. In other words, that Israel in 1948 is a prophetic event that now is inscribed in, in Ezekiel 37, as opposed to a picture of the millennium, which I think is pretty clear that it is. It's a pattern repeated in all the night visions, including Ezekiel 38 and 39, clearly speaking of the millennial language, which is, I believe, proved in Revelations uh, 27 through 10, where the Gog Magog War is pictured as a millennial event. But anyway, uh, my main point here is that if you believed that Hal Lindsey version, then Israel cannot lose the land because that's an explicit part of the promises of those night visions is that once the Messiah is ruling Israel, that's kind of the point of the Gog Magog War actually, is that, uh, look, when the Messiah is ruling you, remember, the, 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 these visions were given to them while the day that Jerusalem had fell to Nebuchadnezzar. So it was a pretty big deal. Hey, Jerusalem had just fallen. These prophecies had been given that same day that, look, Yes, it's bad now, but one day there will be a Messiah. And when he is there, nobody's going to be able to get you. Satan himself is going to try to destroy you and he's going to get utterly smashed. I mean, that is the, 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 the level of promise to you that once the Messiah comes, no one will be able to touch you. And here is an explicit picture, which we are again told by John again in Revelation 20. Uh, but that's another story. But I love this way to argue this because it sort of, it, it stumps, I think, a lot of people because they've never really thought through what the connection point is with the other empires. The five of fallen one is, or the seven heads of the beast, or they're, however they're, they're thinking of that. Again, this is mostly a pretty understood thing that these empire systems, and some people choose different empires and all this other thing, but they are empires. And almost everybody has the same ones. The revived version, I think, gets a little bit uh, different. I mean, you have your Islamic Antichrist people that have other ideas there and, and different things. But I would say that of those uh, empires that, you know, the five have fallen empires, they all had one thing in common, which is the conquest of Israel. I think that it to, to argue against it, a paper really needs to be written on this, because if you can prove that, which I think that you can, um, also, I, I need to say here that um, some people will point to empires that existed after 70 AD, notably the Islamic Empire. And they say, well, it was an Islamic Empire controlled that area around Israel, too. And that's different. I would say it, it's qualitatively different to control the area where Israel used to be, uh, where there is no temple and no significant amount of Jews there. I mean, they'll probably quibble about there. There were significant amount of Jews there, but it wasn't an empire. It wasn't a nation. There was no nation of Israel that was being ruled by another empire. That was the pattern seen before 70 AD. And I think that's why, in fact, Daniel 
9 makes that distinction. I, I made uh, the point that Daniel 9, which is the, uh, the uh, uh, 70 weeks prophecy, it's kind of all about temples. I've called it uh, Daniel 9, the story of uh, four temples, three down, two to go, or how two down, two to go, or something like that. And it really seems to start and stop with the formation of those temples. You know, this, this gap between the, the first uh, uh, weeks and that final seven-week period, I think are a gap of temples existing. You don't need to take the temple out of the equation. We're just talking about Israel existing as a nation and then being ruled over by an empire. And I think that there's this uh, uh, being ruled, the, the, the scepter, you know, during the Roman times, Israel didn't really have the scepter, the scepter being sort of a picture of their ability of sovereignty, able to make decisions about their own destiny and who and who not to execute. They did not have that power, for example, in these other time periods, which are the only other time periods that were, they were controlled like that. So I think the strength of the argument is that the other previous heads of the beast are chiefly, I mean, if not entirely based on who controlled Israel. Like you have to have only five and there can only be only five and you can't make any others up because it only happened five times. And the language that shows that those are empires, one is and all this other stuff. So th 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 this is a really interesting thing because if that's true, if that premise is true, which I admit probably needs to be uh, argued uh, and hashed out with people who care and don't have a lot of access to grind on the issue or whatever, or maybe if they do, I guess those, those would be the people that would be most likely in, uh, to, to argue such a thing. But if you could prove that, then you could prove that the we are not in the end times unless um, Israel is controlled by this empire. And I would say that whatever's being built right now, I don't know, it, and, and all of this in my head, it has to, a lot of shifting around in terms of borders and geopolitics and stuff has to happen before then. Initially with this, I had an entire sort of footnote where I talked about how um, the, the Israel being, a, being conquered by this is not a reference to the final part of the three and a half years, which uh, I almost went into a great length about that and how it has to also include that first three and a half year period. Because I think what a lot of people hear when they hear this is that, oh, well, no, that's okay. Because Israel, what that means is that when, when the Antichrist at the midpoint, he's going to rule over Israel because they have this sort of idea that the Antichrist taken off the mask and now he's a really bad guy and everybody needs to worship me now that I'm, everybody knows I'm bad. That's sort of the way that I think people uh, interpret that event, which I would see that is completely not true. I mean, Jesus's point is that you got to get out when you see him sit in the temple, because that's when the whole world is going to be against you, the sheep, you know, they're going to come after you and that, which means that there's a lot of people in Israel uh, after the midpoint that totally love this guy and are willing to kill for him. If you think that that's a, a blasphemous thing, just look at Revelation 11, where the two witnesses die and the people in Israel give gifts to one another. They're so happy that the two witnesses are dead that they're cheering and giving gifts. So it's not a good place from Israel. In that same passage, it calls it it calls Israel Sodom and Egypt, the place where our Lord was crucified. So, so yes, you can believe that Israel is not in a good place in that final three and a half years, and they're not being conquered like that. I'm saying that the first three and a half years. Okay, so. There's a lot to say here. And I, I wanted to go into this too, about the five of all and one is, you know, it talks about this sort of second stage na nature of uh, the, the this final head of the beast. Uh, it's one of the, it's an eighth, but it was also, it's also one of the seven. That sort of two stage concept 
go, this is the, the sort of unification theory of the 10 Kings, really, because we get so much information from of the 10 Kings in Daniel that are then picked up on in Revelation, particularly in Revelation 17. But the being one of the seven, but also an eighth, is because it never changed the bureaucracy. That's the genius of this last system. It's a two-stage system that never changes in terms of the 10, you know, areas that are ruled. Uh, you know, the whole system that's probably built up with the whatever kind of, you know, ID system and all the kind of technological, let's assume there's some kind of technological system in the buying and selling system, that's already going to exist. He's just going to come in and take all that over. But before that, everything was, the, the, the borders were still the borders. And I would also, I think in the footnote that I was going to, to put in there, was going to talk about how Israel would have to have been part of that conquered system before the midpoint. So whatever, and so in, in, in this case, I'm talking about not just the first three and a half years, I'm talking about however long that 10 king system exists before the 70th week starts, which is, again, my main premise. That has to, it's a thing that has to ex exist before the seven year period starts. It doesn't just like appear as a geopolitical entity that day. What the only thing that I think changes is this, uh, whatever the Antichrist has his ability with war, that's sort of the key that changes everything. And it gives him the confidence to make the covenant, which starts the daily sacrifice. So whatever you think the covenant is, I know people think it's a peace agreement or whatever. It doesn't say peace agreement. It doesn't say any of that. All you can really gather from what that covenant is, is it starts the daily sacrifices. And though they are ended three and a half years later, when he sits in the temple and declares himself to be God, which I would argue is exactly what you would do if you were pretending to be a Messiah, because that's exactly what Jesus is prophesied to do, sit in the temple and rule the world from the temple. Uh, but my point is that the one thing we know that he does in that covenant is a very pro-Israel thing, starting the daily sacrifices. I believe that's when the wars start uh, mentioned earlier, but uh, I'm getting a little bit more verbose than I wanted to be here. So let's just move on to the third and final reason. I don't think that we are in the end times yet. Reason number three, contrary to popular belief, the birth pains have not yet begun. The birth pains in Matthew 24, 4 through 8, false Christs, wars, famines, earthquakes, as well as the other events in Matthew 24, such as martyrdom, verse 9, 20 through 21 through 22, celestial disturbances in the sun, moon, and stars, verse 29, and the resurrection, verse 30 through 31, seem to be mirrored in the opening of the seals in Revelation 6 through 7. The Antichrist, verses 1 through 2, wars, 3 through 4, famine, 5 through 6, martyrdom, 7 through 11, celestial disturbances, disturbances, 12 through 17, and resurrection in 7, 9 through 17. All of which seem to line up with the signs that announced the start of the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, Joel 2:31. If this is the correct interpretation, then the birth pains cannot have been occurring already as many evangelicals teach, but instead the birth pains are prophecies of specific events which will occur over a very short time period, probably starting at the beginning of the seven year period with the strengthening of the covenant and the starting of the daily sacrifices, Daniel 9:27. This will be directly followed by the Antichrist's wars of conquest, Daniel 11:40. Uh, through 12, 1, Revelation 6, 3 through 4, Matthew 24, 6 through 7. Therefore, the main argument used by those attempting to prove that we are in the end times, the, that the birth pains are occurring now, is a bad and even dangerous interpretation. Because if you believe 
that the first stage of the Ten King system is the Antichrist's system when it isn't. It may be evil, but it will not be ruled by the Antichrist until just before the midpoint. Then you would be more likely to cheer the Antichrist as he appears to liberate the world, including Israel, from that evil system. This deception would be especially potent if the Antichrist claims to be the Messiah, supposedly fulfilling messianic prophecies such as Isaiah 11, 14 through 16, and other such prophecies of messianic conquests, not coincidentally of the same nations mentioned in Daniel 11, 40 through 45. First, a little bit of backstory here. If you asked more of the scholarly type person if we were in the end times, and that person believed that we were in the end times, they would be mo more likely to talk about the birth pains. So like your John Walford types, they would say that, and, and there is a lot of disagreement about when these birth pains have been happening over the course of the last years, but a, you know, most of them will say that they have been occurring over many years. So for example, some people will say that the birth pains have been occurring over the last 2000 years since essentially the resurrection or the new covenant or, or whatever. Some will say that the birth pains only started maybe when Israel became a nation or something like that, but they want to make the birth pains something that are going on right now. So that's how they feel it's okay to answer the question, are we in the end times? They say, yes, because haven't you seen the earthquakes? Haven't you seen the famines? What about World War II or different things? Again, those, those birth pains. Um, but if those birth pains are specific prophecies that begin Almost certainly, I think that the first seal, the Antichrist and the, and the rider on the horse is, is probably located right at the beginning of the uh, uh, 70th week of Daniel. In other words, if, if Matthew 24 is parallel to Revelation 6 and 7, then you don't get to have the birth pangs have been occurring over the last decades or thousands of years or whatever you believe before that. You can't have it both ways. And so it's a study I highly encourage you to do. Uh, even uh, people that like uh, have reasons not to believe this, believe it. I'm thinking of John MacArthur, who holds that there is that this parallel exists between Matthew 24 and Revelation 6 and 7, and yet that causes him all kinds of problems with uh, stuff, other stuff that he believes, but he's willing to deal with the fallout because the strength of this parallel is so strong. So it really does come down to you need to do this study because you can't have the birth pangs are your reason that we're in the end times if this parallel exists. So it's a strong argument against that. And then I ended this talking about uh, the dangers of believing this. And I, I put, I couldn't resist putting the Isaiah 11, 14 through 16 passage in there. It says, this deception would be especially potent if the Antichrist claims to be the Messiah, supposedly filling messianic prophecies such as Isaiah 11, 14 through 16, and other such prophecies of messianic conquests, not coincidentally of the same nations mentioned in Daniel 11, 40 through 45. So let me read Isaiah 11, 14 through 16 real quick. And I should say a really important part of this is that this is firmly in the millennial language. So in verse 10, it starts off in the day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the people of him, shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant, the remains of his people, Assyria from, uh, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathos, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath and the coastlands of the sea. So this is a picture of uh, the Lord in probably the reclamation period, or, or you know, there's this um, uh, after the day of the Lord, Jesus will have this time between 
whatever is there and the setting up of his kingdom. And I, it may occur very short in that sort of 30 and 45 day period, or it may be a longer period of time, or it may be actually be a picture of in the day of the Lord. But this is certainly after Jesus is on earth. These are what I'm about to read to you, Isaiah 11, 14 through 16, are unfulfilled prophecies. They don't have a place anywhere else, but they are prophecies of a messianic war, the Messiah going to war with certain countries. It is incredibly overlooked uh, but uh, let's just read from 14. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. There's a lot of language here with the joining of the sticks and Ezekiel later on, but but they shall swoop down on the shoulders of the Philistines in the west and together shall plunder the people of the east. These are the, the Israelite armies led by the Messiah. They shall put out of their uh, hand against Edom and Moab and the Ammonites shall obey them. These are specific conquests of uh, the, that uh, have not happened yet. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals, and there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people. And there was for, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. So this is a picture of a, a messianic, I believe this is the creation of the, what we're going to see in the millennium, which I think is the greater Israel, this reference to Egypt and Assyria, this highway, a lot of you uh, that, that know a lot about the millennium theology will know that that's sort of a boundary of the millennial Jerusalem. It's the land called Greater Israel that is given to Abraham, which is much bigger and grander than uh, that anybody, even at the greatest amount of conquest, let's say with Solomon, ever they ever had. And this is the the Messiah basically chiseling out this uh, this this true greater Israel, the actual promised land just before the millennial millennium takes place. This is a really important messianic prophecy. And that's why I think it's so interesting. I said, of uh, this is a, what I think the Antichrist is attempting to fake in Daniel 11, 40 through 45. I think Daniel 11, 40 through 45, which mentions these same, same ones, Edom, Moab, the prominent people of Ammon escaped from his hands. Um, but, and, and he enters the glorious land. And what does he do when he gets to the glorious land in Daniel 11 for, through, 40, through 45? He goes after the Philistines in the West, another nation mentioned in this thing. He, it's the cleaning up of, I think of it as like the cleaning up of the interior of Israel, the West Bank and the Palestinians and all those that are in Israel in the glorious land. He's got to destroy them too. In addition to Edom and Moab and Egypt and all the others pictured in Daniel 11 through 40 through 45. So the, it, to me, it's no... It's really telling, again, that Daniel 11 is looked upon by the rabbinic, uh, uh, you know, the Talmud and whatnot as the Messiah, when every Christian in the whole world knows it's the Antichrist. Uh, anyway, I think that's it for me. One of the main points I wanted to say here is that, look, this I made this text to copy and to think through. I, I want people to think about this question, are we in the end times, and to think Think more about it. Think about it. What does the Bible say about it? Let's let's have discussions and thoughts with the people that, that in our churches or whatever about the actual issues. You can go to the website, BibleProphecyTalk.com, and I'll try to pin this post or whatever, where you can get the infographic as well as this uh, text itself. All right. See you next time.